Hello and welcome. This is the ninth episode of the Bits vs. Bytes podcast. I'm your host, Armin Grigic, and today I have a very special guest from Vamp. He's a co-founder and CTO at Vamp, and his name is Olaf Molevelt. Welcome. Thank you, Armer. Thank you. Um, to start out, uh, how did you get into tech? So how did you start out? I'm, I guess I'm uh, really a nerd, <laughs> <laughs> reading science fiction books, uh, playing with the first uh, editions of uh, home computers, cool. Commodore 64, Fig 20, Fig 20, Setic Spectrum. 48 kilobytes of RAM. Okay. And then... Uh, it's a while ago. <laughs> yeah, that's quite a while ago. I've got a few gray hairs. You don't see this in the podcast, <laughs> luckily. Uh, yeah, so I, I guess uh, computers always intrigue me. Uh, space shuttle launches, all that, that tech stuff. And uh, yeah, I, I guess I'm happy to uh, uh, make money with, uh, with my hobby, okay. being a nerd. And um, did, how did you start out? So did you start out as a developer or what was your like first job in, yeah. in tech? Um, I thought I would like to be uh, studying informatics. And then I figured out that it actually mean, meant a lot of uh, math, which uh, wasn't my your number forte. one. <laughs> no, 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 not really. So I basically switched to what we call the business informatics which was uh, in Groningen, uh, university, no, not university, uh, HBO, which is uh, yeah. kind of like the, well, I'm not sure what the English equivalent is, but it was like one of the first studies where um, business drivers and IT came together and we had sociolo- sociology, psychology, like uh, all kinds of like, like these soft skills. Yeah, it wasn't all tech. Yeah, yeah it was really about uh, knowledge systems but also Java programming, uh, assembly even, and, but actually to, to create models or applications that could deliver business value. And that's still what, I, what I'm doing. Um, yeah, so I did my share of programming, CGI Bin Pearl, ASP, Cold Fusion, uh, but that I stopped around, I think, 2000. Didn't de- really do a lot of object-oriented stuff or anything. Mm-hmm. I, I more became like what I would call a solution architect. Mm-hmm. Um, basically applying different technologies, understanding them, and, and more thinking about the architecture and how to make different components work together and deliver uh, business value by creating synergies of these different components. Yeah, so more high level, right? So, yeah. yeah. Okay. And um, how, did you go, how did you start out with VAMP? So th- what was the, the whole idea behind it wh- when you started and, and how did it come together? Yeah, so at that time I was working at uh, Mirabeau, which is now a cognizant company. Yeah. And with my good friend Tim, uh, he was, I think, working at Xabia at that time. Mm-hmm. And I was doing a lot of architectures around e-commerce, transactional systems, uh, hybrids, intershop, demandware combined with content management systems from Adobe or Sitecore, and then often like custom solutions around it. Um, and all these clients where they were first uh, ignoring the cloud or, or, or had a hard time moving to the cloud, it was like, yeah, we don't want to go to cloud unless it's really a big driver. Yeah, what they, is the cloud? <laughs> yeah, they started flipping around all of a sudden, like the critical mass kind of thing happened. So they said, yeah, we want to move to cloud unless it's not an option. So uh, we did see a lot of um, like trouble with porting big monolithical systems which were basically designed to run 
on uh, on-prem kind of a few big machines to move them to Elastic Cloud infrastructure. And then Tim was showing me Docker. I think it was 0 0.1 or 0 0.2, really, really early really. version. <laughs> and he said, like, whoa, take a look at this. This is really cool. And I was thinking, what, what, what is this thing? And he said, it's like a zip thing for, for compute, for you can zip it in a Docker container, and then it will run the same on every machine. I was like, yeah, that's what they said about Java too. And we yeah. know how that <laughs> came along. But he, he showed it to me, and we are like, wow, this is actually interesting. So what came, this was the combination of, of cloud, microservices architectures which came along at that time we didn't call them microservices i think but more like service-oriented architecture mm -hmm. 2.0 and uh, docker containers and we thought ah oh, that's interesting so we can actually create modular architectures that are easily deployable through dtap pipelines and um and can 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 run on elastic infrastructure easily so we started thinking about how to apply that to e-commerce platforms and that's how we started with with the company called Magnetic IO, which where the idea was to create an an, an e-commerce platform based around microservices wrapped in containers deployed on cloud, mm -hmm. which you would probably call cloud native these days. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, to power that platform, to have like zero downtime upgrades, to A/B test everything, to make it dynamically scalable based on business metrics, mm -hmm. we needed an engine that could manage these Docker containers. On something like Mesos. Yeah. And that was basically the birth of FAMP because we built that engine on top of Mesos first and then Marathon came along uh, to do these zero downtime uh, upgrades, to do A B testing, canary releasing. So it was an integration of HR proxy, reverse proxies configuration, talking to Marathon APIs or Docker APIs, and then measuring stuff, putting it in Elasticsearch. Yeah. And making sure that this. It's like a feedback loop that is, is managing the system all the time, which is kind of like the core of AMP. And what happened is basically people said, e-commerce platforms, we're building those ourselves, or yeah. we still buy the stuff that is in the magic quadrants of Gartner and Forrester. So this magnetic thing, I don't feel comfortable of buying it or selling it to my management or board. But I'm really interested in that FAMP thing that you guys show, because that is actually solving a lot of the pains that I'm currently having mm -hmm. so that yeah so uh you started out with the e-commerce thing what was the real reason behind that why why the e-commerce part and not something else like uh, normal applications or that don't have to do with the e-commerce thing because transactional systems mm -hmm. that actually make money yeah that run on multi-language multi-country uh, multi-channel kind of uh, setups uh, with with specific e-commerce and content management systems around it. That's kind of where we were active in. Mm -hmm. And that's also, I think, where the main drivers are. Like I said, I, I like to apply it to business drivers or business uh, challenges. And just having a technical solution like a single application, that, that that's interesting, but actually use or leverage that new technology for uh, platforms that need to make money mm -hmm. where people actually are selling stuff yeah. or selling transactions where you can't have any downtime as well yeah when you run a 24-7 global operation there's no night and day yeah, yeah exactly. I mean there's always somebody awake and, and wanting to buy stuff from yeah. you so that's where the real pain is and also where these kinds of innovations are picked up 
the earlies. I guess it's defense and porn, and then it's e-commerce. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Yeah, yeah. Because that that is true. I mean, the e-commerce part is interesting because, uh, as as we said, yeah, you don't, you cannot have the downtime. You cannot because it costs money if you if you're down, right? Yeah. Um. So, getting back to what you guys really do. Uh. So, what does it? Uh, what does Vamp solve for particular clients? Yeah. So, um, of course, uh, we learned. And times have been changing. We've do, been doing this for over four years now. Um, we are in the business of release management or smart release management. So you have the technical part of deploying stuff onto machines, clusters, mm-hmm. DTAP. But when it's running, it's often like a like a big bang release. It's blue green. You split the switch. And uh, if you talk to bigger enterprises that that have uh, money flowing through their systems, they have uh, uh, people called release managers, mm-hmm. or they have release management departments, or they have release management procedures. And having continuous delivery is kind of scaring them because they like, okay, so that means that automatically new stuff is running in production yeah, yeah. and developers can push new stuff. Where's my role in this? And, mm-hmm. and basically, FAMP allows uh, DevOps teams but also re- these release managers to work together and have controlled releases. And a release is basically how you expose a running service or application or front-end or whatever to the outside world or to other services. Okay. So this could, those could be segments of users, segments of devices, countries, percentages, or a combination of the above, and then probably in multiple steps where you increase your exposure based on positive uh, feedback from the system. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hope that makes sense? Yeah, it does make sense. I was just thinking about the... the where it all fits in, right? So where where in the whole chain of oh, yeah. uh, events, where, where where do you think it, it fits in when you look at, for example, I'm a developer and mm-hmm. I want to uh, set up a new release and I want to go uh, go about it. Uh, usually I have like uh, something running for to do my build of my yep. application. Uh, and normally what I would do is, okay, I would build the application. I would say, okay, deploy this to everyone. Yeah, because it usually is everyone. Yeah. Uh, there are some cases, uh, of course, bigger companies like Google and stuff like that are looking at okay, how is it being used and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, wh- where are you in the chain? Uh, yeah. So we basically extend your CI and CD. Okay. Tool chain. So we sit behind stuff like GoCD, or Jenkins, or Spinnaker, or GitLab. Mm-hmm. And we control the releasing, like I said. Um, so if you look at a developer operations, like product owner kind of chain, mm-hmm. uh, first thing that we can add value is a self-service for developers. So you can, for example, deploy your service or services onto a Kubernetes or Mesosphere cluster. And then uh, your ops people in the team or yourself can set up a gateway to automatically expose it to your internal IPs okay. and expose it on a specific path like service name slash version name. And then the FAM gateways basically do some, you could call it micro API gateway kind of thing, yeah. where there's a specific route from the outside world to your services. So you can take a look and yeah. see how your services actually are running. So that would be the first thing. Um, we do the canary releasing, the automated releasing management, basically. That would typically be something for an ops person to automate this with a script, like a Node.js-based script. 
or a release manager to configure that script to say, okay, I want to do five steps in steps of 20% uh, with these conditions and measuring these metrics. Mm-hmm. And the third part would be more what we currently would see the A-B testing, feature testing, okay. where you toggle uh, multiple versions with environment variables or configuration settings and you create the gateways to have multiple routes based on conditions and you can compare uh, how your features behave mm-hmm. um, so that will be like the, the value that we can add And so it's, we don't replace a CI or CD tool we extend the CI or CD tool you can deploy through FAMP but you can also deploy outside of FAMP and we pick up like selector labels or specific patterns that you yeah environment define. variables yeah yeah and then we kick off an automation process or we configure an additional route to start moving uh, traffic over multiple versions yeah so how, how would it look in the real world so for example I have a web shop mm-hmm. and I want to test a new feature right I want yeah. to see okay is this feature that I'm uh, or this improvement that I'm uh, rolling out is it actually going to add value to my client. Uh, how would that work in uh, with, with yeah. VAM? So, um, as a developer, mm-hmm. you would make your CI/CD system uh, build this new version mm-hmm. and uh, probably deploy it with a Helm chart or, or, or by FAMP. You, you push it onto the cluster. Mm-hmm. Uh, you already predefined the gateway to listen for this specific service and, and, and understand how the versioning is done. Yep. Um, automatically a new route will be created you can automatically also set a condition for internal IP addresses maybe or for a specific header or cookie that you pass from your client Mm -hmm. so the first step would be to take a look at this new version and see how it's behaving then you can start rebalancing traffic which is kind of like service discovery or a mesh between the services if, Mm -hmm. if it's like a a service that needs to be exposed to other services. Mm-hmm. And you can start looking at uh, be- behavior like technical, CPU, memory usage, maybe uh, timeouts or other HTTP or TCP issues. Um, from that point, you can start also controlling ingress. So basically how it's exposed to the outside world, uh, which is more like a, a release management functionality. Um and just see how it, how it behaves over time. Maybe you want to run through an entire week or 24 or 48 hours um, and see if it doesn't really fail compared to your current version. And then the third layer would be uh, maybe you do a test, an A-B test, based on maybe NPS scores or shopping a basket value. And you want to see if this new version actually, uh, on a feature level, creates some additional lift. Yeah. So there's multiple layers there. It's like the self-service for developers to just make sure that everything is, is as they expect. Then it's a technical layer of, of technical validation of this, of this new version and also uh, releasing it into the outside world and other services. And then there's the functional testing layer mm-hmm. where you actually start meshing for business improvements. Yeah. So you look at, uh, for example, in the, in the process, you would look at, okay, uh, this is one indicator that can mm-hmm. s- tell us okay this has been successful uh, right so yeah. you you would uh, probably set that up in in vamp as well as a measurement or whatever so you know okay for example if i have uh, uh as you said you have like the voting thing uh, yeah. that uh, we showed uh, before the podcast you showed me a demo of so for example someone comes onto the website it will say okay do you like this feature yes or no mm-hmm. and uh, if it's seventy percent yes, 
it will say, okay, let's move to this new version because it's actually running better than uh, yeah. than the old version, right? Yeah, yeah. We can can integrate with external systems like Google Analytics mm-hmm. or uh, A/B testing tools, and you can use those uh, results mm-hmm. and analyze them, or have the external system analyze them, and use those as triggers to move forward or back specific versions. So in this specific example. Uh, often when you do like a small scale release, it's it's hard to get like significant results beca- on volume. Mm-hmm. So this is a quantitative uh, test mm-hmm. that you do. Um, we, say, so we should say a qualitative test. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's not based on numbers. It's no, you basically want to know like a first indication of pe- do people actually like this new feature or color scheme. Or, or button or whatever. Yeah. And you basically uh, embed that into your front end or, or, or your app. Uh, you store the votes, like people saying yes or no, a thumbs up or a thumbs down or a number of stars or whatever you want to, to, to record. And, um, and then a workflow in FAM basically calculates uh, the number of votes mm-hmm. and sees uh, I want at least 70% uh, people giving me a thumbs up. Mm-hmm. And at least uh, 200 uh, votes coming back, that for me would be sufficient to roll out this new functionality or color scheme. Yeah. And then basically the workflow can automatically rebalance the gateway. And so it's not so much a starting and stopping of, of containers or services, it's more rebalancing traffic. So it integrates really nicely into your release uh, pattern. Or yeah, schedule. yeah. And um, looking at that, that rebalancing thing, so. Um, you what happens if for example uh, i've set up a workflow it's uh, working like this it actually does the the rebalancing mm-hmm. uh, what happens if for some reason uh it, it was still an error or whatever and i still want to roll back how, how does that work then do you have to like manually configure it to roll back again or no you can have uh, have Multiple workflows or policies uh, working together. Okay. Obviously, you need to take care of, of conflicting mm. behavior. Um, but you can have a, a workflow that measures the technical performance. And when when something goes wrong, maybe timeouts are thrown because of uh, you introduce this new color scheme or feature, and it has all kinds of bugs and, and timeouts or, or something mm-hmm. will happen. Then we detect this in, in a health metric. And this health metric dropping to something below 80% or, or to zero can actually uh, trigger a rollback. So you can have multiple layers working together, like yeah. technical uh, checkers and, and autoscalers, because obviously you also want to make sure that enough resources are allocated to, to, this, uh, to this version because you want to make sure that you actually test the right thing. Yeah, You're not testing... Uh, wrong things there. Um, so yeah, th- th- you can have them set up to work together. So obviously you're not going to start experimenting with, with feature testing when you have technical issues. So you first start with the technical automation, the technical safety net basically. Yeah. And then you will probably move into the auto-scaling kind of optimization to make sure that everything runs within the SLAs that you define. And that's the moment you also start adding more feature Mm, uh, mm. testing but that's all integrated into one uh, automation uh, thing so you could also call them like swiss army knife of devops automation mm, uh, mm. yeah 
And uh, looking at things like uh, uh, there are like a lot of new techniques like serverless coming into the uh, to to the playing field. Uh, that's taking the step a little bit further even than the containerizing thing. Yeah. Um, how do you think uh, that will impact your business? Uh, because it primarily at the moment uh, revolves around uh, containering and uh, containeriz- containerization and yeah. stuff like that. So how do you think that will impact that? Uh, very positively, I think. Okay. And uh, that wouldn't be maybe your first thought. Yeah. Um, we never are were about containers. Mm. We were about or are about uh, smart release management, making yeah. sure that what you release and how you release it actually uh, reduces blast radius or negative impact and optimizes performance. And uh, right now we talk against different container schedulers like the Mesosphere and Kubernetes. Uh, we're working on serverless uh, integrations. And because the Canary releasing, the, 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 the release management is still the same. You mm. still want to control uh, who's being exposed to your new serverless functionality based on what conditions. And you still need observability, measuring to see and comparing how this new serverless function behaves compared to the old one. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that, that's not a... The, the, the challenges are exactly the same. Obviously, you have um, other integrations on Amazon with, with Lambdas, for example. You have yeah. API gateways. Uh, so you need to think a little bit about where you put the FAM gateways in front of after the, the the API gateway. Yeah, that's that's one that was coming to mind. Yeah, how, yeah. How how you would place that? As well. Yeah. So what we architecture wise, how you typically would see it is is a few are on containers. There's often like this this APG or a big a- API gateway uh, that sits behind your edge load balancers or your CDN, mm-hmm. and then the FAM gateways for for a traffic distribution ingress, let's say, is often sitting behind that API gateway. Okay. So yeah. your main routing is done on the API gateway, and then it hits the API, the FAM gateways, which are more moving towards your services. Yeah, and know where to route stuff, and based exactly. on on particular like indicators that you set up. For example, you've shown me the demo as well that. Um, you have a new version that you want to test out and you put the user agent or the browser that someone is using to Firefox. So only the Firefox people that are using Firefox will be able yeah. to see that new version, right? Exactly. So you do that routing on, on that level. Yeah. But if you have, um, for example, uh, Amazon Lambdas and they are automatically uh, patched into an Amazon API gateway. Mm. So then the FAM gateways would typically sit in front of that API gateway but after probably a CDN Mm-mm-mm. so they sit more in front of and then they start controlling the, the traffic yeah because or, you want multiple functions right yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah. or I also see an option uh, it's depending on the use case where FAMP uh, uh, starts controlling or configuring these Amazon API gateways in more um, detail based on, on how you want to release. Yeah. Because it's still a technical thing where you can configure these API gateways based on your preferences, but we believe that this should be more of a commodity yeah. where it's easier to configure this, that stuff. It's like basically, if you say cloud formation, mm. it's kind of like, ooh, that's a lot of lines of configuration. Yeah, and, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. and you see this entire ecosystem around it of tooling that, that helps you to to create, create these kind of 
things. Yeah, so, things like Terraform and stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah. So that that could be the level that we uh, um, add value. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah that's that's interesting because as uh, you're looking at it from a, a side that you're basically agnostic, right? It doesn't matter what backend we throw at it. Uh, we just want to be to able to give you a value of uh, rerouting the traffic the the right way, measuring it, and actually taking decisions on that, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, we do see target platforms. Uh, you have the Amazon ecosystem, you have the Google ecosystem, you have the Azure ecosystem. So there, uh, you, you we have the schedulers like Kubernetes and, and Marathon on Mesosphere, DCOS. So these are configurable in FAMP. So you mm-hmm. can basically configure what kind of uh, uh, scheduler driver you want to talk to. We're working on Istio integration also as an alternative to HAProxy. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Envoy is also uh, a driver at some point that you can, can use. Um, that's all configuration, and it basically switches drivers. So mm-hmm. the, the, the configuration that comes out of FAMP will be different. Yeah. But for typical target platforms where we say, okay, Istio with Kubernetes on Google Cloud or Azure with AKS and some form of networking, yeah. we will provide like, like sets of drivers that, that Work integrate really nicely with those stacks because you also have the secret storage that's probably different on those clouds. Um, uh, the service principles, uh, the security model, the networking yeah. model. It's it's in a sense also a little bit like uh, what people are doing with um, with ORMs, right? So uh, it doesn't yeah. matter. I, I have one kind of language, but it can connect to multiple kind of databases like Postgres or MySQL or whatever. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. And and we're, I mean, you're uh, doing the translation. That's a, yeah. yeah. So, and and it's nice to have. It's not per se a, a, a big value driver of the fan product itself mm-hmm. but the way it's designed with the modular drivers it's something you basically get for free almost so you can we have a multi-tenant version this fan enterprise so you can mix and match clouds and schedulers mm. and in the future also mix and match serverless and containers and maybe i don't know unikernels or anything that that, that comes up and we can integrate with uh, but it's, I, I guess it's not a, a per se a, a driver to stay like really fender agnostic or cloud agnostic uh, because at some point people probably make, make a choice. Yeah, there's the big three, right? I mean, yeah. uh, in most cases people will, uh, if they're picking a cloud provider, they'll probably go to Amazon or Microsoft or Google, right? I yeah. mean, those, those three are kind of the, the big players in, exactly. the, in the game. Yeah, I do see uh, a big value, of course, in multi-cloud. Mm-hmm. In the sense that you maybe want to develop on prem or on, on a specific cloud, but your production is not allowed to run there, mm-hmm. or with, with GDPR or, or data local uh, uh, compliance, you need to run on different uh, on a set of different clouds or, or environments, and then it becomes quite valuable. Um, but it's more to do with kind of the schedulers that we support, so you can mix and match those things and. Um, I guess you you choose like your primary stack, but you want to have failover. Yeah. Or maybe you want to have specific workloads that are less critical to run on spot instances on the cheapest pro- available uh, provider. Mm. So, so those kind of scenarios will appear, I guess, at some point when clients or users will reach a specific maturity level yeah because talking about the maturity that's a good segue into what i was what i was going to ask is 
when you guys started out, mm-hmm. uh, the maturity of all kinds of things like the containerization, the orchestration of uh, containers and stuff like that, it was uh, pretty in its infancy at, mm-hmm. the, at that time. Uh, how do you, because you talk to a lot of companies, how do you see that landscape evolving? How, what, what do you think that state is right now of, of those kind of things? So where, where are we at? Is it, is it coming out of that infancy or what, what do you think about that? I think uh, what what I do see is that people realize that it's harder than they thought it was. <laughs> yeah. And that's, of course, the first step. Yeah. You need to walk into the wall and, and actually see, oh, man, the complexity has increased because I'm now slicing up my monolithical application into 10 smaller or 20 parts, yeah. smaller parts, which are applications in itself. And they need to run in a distributed system over cloud infrastructure on cloud infrastructure yeah and they need to be scalable and, and they, they can to move be able around to fail and yeah and they need to be failing and they can move around and it's totally different from from your monolithical uh, architecture one, server, one application yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you see companies moving back yeah like i rather have one big monolith that i just scale out and can control and mm-hmm. um, but but um, th- this realization that it's that it's harder uh, that's an important one because uh, yeah, it, it actually uh, gives gives us some some reality check kind of moment. Uh, and second, um, it's I think a lot of people are kind of having a hard time with the microservice architecture, like how to do database migrations and database schemas and versioning, mm. and uh, how to make that work, which are more architectural challenges. Um, and and. Uh, but I do see a lot of good progress here. So people are actually running microservices in production. They are uh, realizing the challenges and solving these challenges in, in different ways and forms. Um, so, yeah, I think maturity, let's say we're, we we kind of like passed uh, the area where people were kind of fed up with, with yeah. the complexity yeah. and now are actually doing it. Yeah. And and I guess also the the managed container stacks help a lot. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, two years ago you actually needed to manage and set up your own Kubernetes cluster, which is hard, or your own DCS cluster, which is hard. Yeah. And now you can basically go into each of the cloud providers and do a few clicks. And you have and the the available cluster, right? Yeah. Yeah, and it's running, and you can do it over multiple AZs or mm. whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So it. Uh, as as you said, it's more uh, a mindset change actually than uh, the actual tools because the tools are there, right? I mean, there are the tools are there to to be able to do the whole containerization, orchestration, and stuff like that. But it's more the mindset change that you are actually switching to a different architecture than what you were doing before, right? That's an interesting question. Yeah. I think what what's actually interesting to see is that uh, people went down the rabbit hole. Mm. So you moved to like microservices, uh, you went to Kubernetes or Mesosphere, DCS, Docker, uh, Istio maybe, uh, traffic or any proxy uh, and log aggregation, uh, mm-hmm. dashboarding, observability. At some point, people almost seem to forget why they were moving to microservices in the first place, mm. which was higher velocity with less issues. Yeah. And I think that's where we kind of are pushing, where we say, okay, guys, it's all nice, all this technical stuff. You can do amazing stuff, but 
but let's not forget why we started doing this. Mm. We wanted to release faster with less issues. Yeah. And often, yeah, what you see is that people say, yeah, we've got this continuous delivery pipeline, we've got microservices, we release much faster, but we also have much more issues because we don't have maybe the testing framework in place to test in production uh, well, or we cannot move back. We need to move forward all the time. So it takes us uh, X amount of hours to to fix stuff in production. So yeah, you, you get to the next level of velocity, and, and but you also need to make sure that if you drive faster, <laughs> you need You're to still have, in control, yeah. Yeah, you need to have better observability, but also better safety mm. nets in place. Mm. And uh, so, yeah, the, I think what will happen now is that the business also starts to uh, starts bugging technical people, engineers. Like, okay, you promised us you would deliver when we started this last year. So where is it? Mm. Where 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 do I see this higher velocity and where are these less issues that you promised us? Yeah, testing becomes a lot more in uh, well, testing in general is a good idea, but the the testing frameworks and actually the the whole user testing and it becomes so so important. Actually, one of the biggest things in that uh, trajectory is also testing, right? Because um, I'm not I'm not sure if you can even do the kind of higher velocity if you don't have that testing in place right you need to have the testing in place and testing can can be all kinds of things obviously yeah but synthetic testing is only one thing mm. i mean you're simulating traffic patterns or load uh it's all under control which is not the real world yeah so the real test always finds place in the real world yeah with all kinds of unpredictable patterns and data flowing through your system and people using it in ways that you didn't envision and you obviously didn't test for but also an interesting aspect i find is that people actually don't have any idea how to run in production mm. what kind of topology with what kind of configuration settings like cpu memory mm. how many instances uh, you have a feeling maybe yeah. That you don't really know and, and you would probably overdimension. Yeah. And then keep it there. Yeah, let's let's keep it at sixteen gigs of memory, for example. Yeah, yeah. And it's not even yeah. and not even close. Yeah, and you don't have the, 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 the systems in place to scale down or, or try out other settings mm-hmm. to see how they uh, perform. And but also configuration versus code is an interesting one because I I think most failures or outages are actually configuration issues in production where somebody changes something yep. and it doesn't work. Uh, but it's not so much in the code. So, um, yeah, that's an interesting area, how to test configuration, basically, how to make sure configuration changes or... Yeah. Uh, Don't break production. Yeah. 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 It's a good one. And I, I, was, uh, I was thinking about... A little uh, pushing a little bit back. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Vamp, do you see do you see Vamp still as a startup, or is it a little yeah, bit yeah. further? No, no, no. Yeah, I think <laughs> formally we are seen as a scale up. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I, 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 what's the what's the the definition of a, a startup? startup? Yeah. It's actually finding product market fit. Mm. And I feel that we have a clear understanding of where the product market fit is, mm-hmm. but we n- still need to do. Uh, more work or more validation there it's like the faster horses Mm. i mean we're still kind of like if you ask people what do you need 
you get this we need faster horses answer yeah and 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 we have of course of course tools to do more much more advanced things but maybe they're not um uh, valuable at this moment because other things need to be in place first so that validation of these different ideas that we have and we have a lot of pilots and proof of concepts and things that actually work mm. but are yeah just ideas yeah and, and we need to still i guess uh, see what sticks on the wall best and and in that sense we have a global ambition so we we really believe that what we can do with FAMP and the fishing that we have is actually valuable on, a, on an international level yeah. so that means that we need to validate more on a global scale so it currently runs in like three continents um but but we need we want more data points. We want, want to understand better. Yeah, and more clients that can also give you input on where to go, right? Yeah. It, it has come a long way. I, I've, I've told you this uh, in, in our conversation before. Um, I feel like a few years ago, it was still searching for, okay, what, what's actually the target or what, what are we going to do? And it's really going to be the like release management thing. So... If you would have to give someone an advice when they're starting up or when they want to 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 start their own startup, what would what would that one thing be that you would give them as a, as an advice uh, when starting? Yeah, that's interesting. We, we, like we're an alumni of Startup Bootcamp, yeah, which is an accelerator, just like Rockstar or or Y Combinator. Y Combinator. Um, interestingly enough, you see this this interesting dynamic where. Uh, smart people with with good ideas come in and they they start pitching it and they start building like an mvp uh, and then they bring in uh like innovation managers and people from all kinds of enterprises and companies that are interested in all these smart ideas but i feel it's the wrong way around Mm. because every company has a very clear view most of them on what their challenges are actually so if you can bring people together smart people with smart ideas that understand this technology and can can build cool stuff with it and you have them sit together with companies that have real world challenges and they start talking about a like a minimal viable outcome or something they would like to achieve and then tune that idea on that problem the chances are that it's scalable are much higher than first creating a, a, an MVP kind of thing and then see if it's if it's, if it's going to stick. Yeah. yeah. So uh, my first advice would be create something minimal, but more on a minimal viable outcome kind of thing for a specific vertical or business that you that you know or you have have contacts with, and really f- push on having people use it. Like not trial it or set it up in a hello world kind of yeah. innovation bubble, but really find people that 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 say, if you build me this thing, I'm gonna use it next week, and I'm gonna use it every day because it's really powerful to me. Yeah. And if you find those those people, then chances are they will talk about it, they fall in love with it, they will tell other people about it, and it will scale. Mm. And that's. And that that's a more efficient way than 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 building bigger Just building thing something and then, and then see where you yeah. can find somebody that actually likes it. Obviously, you, the faster horses thing also applies here. 
uh, I always say that like with the iPod. I mean, if you started p- telling people that you could have like this little cigarette box with 3,000 CDs in it, they would say, oh, I've got my CD wallet and my disc, man. So yeah. why do I need this? <laughs> but the moment you start touching it and, and, and then clicks and you rotate it around, I still have my original iPhone somewhere, really? uh, iPod. Uh, but the moment you you grab it and you feel it and and and, and the look and feel and how it becomes it, real, yeah, yeah, it's like ah, but this is actually really cool. Mm. And yeah, so you need to have it in your hands or work with it to to understand maybe the value. But that's what I mean with this minimal viable outcome thing. You need to provide a little thing that people can actually touch and feel, and then see. Okay, you are you willing to use this? Mm. And that that using is really that gives you the the, the real focus. Yeah. Because yeah. they will tell you lots of different things, very different from from some innovation manager that looks at a slideware or some screens and says, "Yeah, it would be really cool. I would use it if it has feature X, Y, and Z." And and and, and then you build X, Y, and Z, <laughs> and I say, "Yeah, but it still needs a feature this, this, and this." And then I would really use it. And then you're in like off yeah 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 yeah. you don't have the focus anymore then and into what really really adds value for for a particular customer right yeah but it's really hard because you need to have the the connections mm-hmm. yeah, you, you, you need people or companies that open up that are honest and, and open for people to say okay yeah this is something that we really have trouble with yeah and it seems to be in your in your knowledge space so if we could have this and this, and then of course you need to do the five times why and the root cause analysis and really sit with people and then ask them about, okay, what are you currently doing and how would you like to improve it? And if we would build this, would that work for you? And you mean, and so you mm-hmm. need to have that dialogue, which is not a very technical dialogue. It's really like a, how to get into the minds of people and, and start to understand what they actually would need on a day-to-day basis. And uh, yeah, so and I think accelerators can really help there. Yeah, yeah, yeah because you have the mentors and stuff like that. Yeah, right? they have the the connections to the to the companies, and if you would, and I think they're also working on this 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 process of flipping it around a little bit more mm. to to start working earlier together. Mm. Okay, and what are you most proud of? That's always the, the 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 tricky question at the at the end. Uh, I so, think uh, that yeah. we're still alive. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that you're still alive after four years. Yeah, yeah, we're still alive, which is uh, not not easy, to be totally honest. And and just to 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 learn from yourself and from the people around you that that you are willing to go the extra mile and just keep on pushing and not give up. It's it's really something that that feels great. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it also gives you the validation that 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 you really believe in 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 this vision uh i'm also really proud when i see when i google sometimes on fam and i see like photos of japanese people sitting in a room with fam on their screens and i <laughs> cannot understand anything of what's all in japanese and then you see these guys smiling and like oh People in Japan, I don't know, they're actually using it. Yeah. That, that, that entire idea that, that somebody else you never spoke to is, is using your software. Your creation, and it's the yeah. same in, in South Korea. They run it at scale on insane big clusters yeah. and, and, and everywhere. And, and yeah, that it's kind of like people grasp it, they get it, and they use it, and they are talking about it and using it. I guess that's, that's, that's what you... 
Th- that gets that's me out you, of bed. Yeah, yeah. That's that's also what keeps you going, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, I like that. <laughs> like that. I like that answer. Um, okay, so how can people find Vamp? Go to uh, uh, www.vamp.io. Okay. Or you can skip the www part. Yeah. I yeah, think yeah. if you just go to vamp.io, you get to our website. And you can uh, just apply for a trial version, uh, which gives you all the cool features and uh, you can play around with. And Mm -hmm. I think we provide you a 30-day trial version. And uh, yeah, so that's kind of there's documentation on it, how to install it, how to set it up, tutorials, how to get an understanding of what to do with it. And um, yeah. Okay, cool. Thank you for your time. Yeah, thank you, Armor. And for uh, the listeners, you can uh, find Bits vs. Bytes on bitsvsbytes.com. Also, we have uh, Instagram, Twitter, and SoundCloud. It's all Bits vs. Bytes. I want to thank you all for listening, and until next time. Bye.